Shalhevet High School presents the Radical Moderation Podcast. Here's your host, Rabbi Ari Siegel. So um, we were on a program together um, this past summer, and on that program, you gave one of the most beautiful Divrei Torah I've ever heard. Oh, um, you, and I want you to give the two-minute version because you delivered it so eloquently. But wow. you were telling the story of two rabbis who were walking, and there was a third who was following. Can you share the Gemara? I, do you remember yes. it? Oh, okay. Yes, of course, of course yeah. I do. It's um, so um, so. Two rabbis are walking to intercalate the calendar in Asiya. And Reish Lakish sees them, and he's never been to this, he's never witnessed this process before. And he asks them, Rabbi Shimon ben Yechot Sadak, and, and the name of the second person is yeah, Rabbi Yonatan Yochan, uh, I can't remember the second name right now. And he asks if he can join them. They agree. Um, they walk together. It's the Shemitah year. As they're walking, Reish Lakish sees all these things happening that trouble him. There's someone who's plowing, there's someone who's harvesting, there's someone who's sowing. So he, uh, there's someone who's, who seems to be pulling grapes off of a vine. He gets very upset. He keeps asking challenge after challenge. Um, and the the other two rabbis are getting more and more frustrated with him. And when they finally get to Asiya, the two rabbis ascend to the upper chamber, which is where they're going to be engaging in this process of intercalation. And they pull the ladder up from behind them. They tell Rachel Lakish, like, you wait down there. And then they pull up the ladder and they say, um, what, Teredu Dane, like, he's, he's a pain in the butt. We don't want this guy around. How can we tend to our important Jewish business if this guy who's asking all these troublesome questions is bothering us? We need to get to work here. We need to focus. And Rachel Lakish is, is left out of the conversation. And I contrasted it to the story of Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, the famous story, and really their love story, um, their Chavruta story, depending on how you, you look at it, maybe both, and in which they... <laughs> <laughs> we might have to edit that out, Sharon. For, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My, my uh, Let's be honest. engineer is shaking his head. <laughs> Let's be honest. If they, if they had been allowed... Oh, gosh. If they had All right. been allowed... I want people to listen to the end of this podcast, Sharon. So let's... <laughs> The Hamaven Yavin, okay. I think, oh, Chavruta, oh, Mituta. They they loved one another deeply and dearly. So um, I contrasted it to the the relationship that Reish Lakish had with Rabbi Yochanan, in which, you know, in which after the death of Reish Lakish, Rabbi Yochanan was inconsolable, and poor Rabbi Elazar Padat has to go to him and, you know, kind of try to be a Chavruta to him, but he thinks that Chavruta just means, you know, confirming, affirming every instinct that Rabbi Yochanan has. And finally, Rabbi Yochanan's like, enough of this, stop, leave me alone. And he says, like, you think you're going to be the replacement of Reish Lakish? Every time I would say something, he would challenge me again and again and again, and until we would uncover the truth. And and what I was saying in the summer is that, you know, ultimately, it seems like these might be two equal models. Like, sometimes it could be very difficult to have someone around who's constantly challenging and utzing and pushing you. But we've never heard of Rabbi Shimon ben Yechotzadak and the other guy whose name I don't remember, right. <laughs> case in There's point. There's a reason, exactly. And Rabbi Yochanan is Rabbi Yochanan, right. like the, one of the greatest, you know, of the, of the Chachamim. So 
What does that mean? It means like in some ways our greatness depends on our willingness to challenge and to be challenged. And I, I fear that all too often in our community, we're so focused on our important Jewish business that we're quick to pull away the ladder and, and keep the people who are, you know, who are bothering us with, the, with by seeing something that we don't want to see as a community, um, keeping them out of the conversation when actually what we need to do is embrace them and hear their voices and be made to feel even profoundly uncomfortable by them, but actually grow from the encounter. Right. So that, as our listeners can tell, you're an, a master of delivering Divrei Torah and, uh, and storytelling. So it's interesting. My experience of that Dvar Torah when you were telling it was, I was thinking, okay, wow, Sharon Rouse, who is incredibly, I mean, I'm incredible. I'll, I'll, I'm done with my platitudes and accolades for you. Um, I mean, there's more of them, but let's, <laughs> we don't have time for them. But you... In many ways, you're the banner carrier for for liberal Judaism, meaning in, in a lot of ways, um, or that's how you're perceived. You may not perceive yourself that way. You may not uh, realize you're perceived that way. But you know, if there's someone who's going to be pushing uh, Judaism to to be more liberal and more progressive and more open minded, it's Sharon Brous. And I thought, wow, you know, she's about to say something interesting. She's going to close with the ladder being pulled up and say. I'm here, we were in Israel at the time, or maybe we were near Israel at the time in, in non-Israeli uh, occupied, well, I don't know which, <laughs> that's more complicated, but- Go on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, we'll edit that one out also. Um, <laughs> of course we will. And I thought you were gonna say, because for you, I think your echo chamber is, meaning I think the story of the Reish Lakish, it could not be more, current and applicable. It's about echo chambers. It's about them not wanting to hear that annoying voice that somehow disagreed. Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, it's about not, meaning he's like, I don't want an echo chamber. I actually want a harusa that, that yes. pushes me. And so I thought you were going to end with a message of, listen, I am constantly thinking in an, I'm, I'm deeply empathic. I am always thinking of those values as my core values. You know, I, I thought you'd say, hey, and listen, there are people who make me uncomfortable when I hear views to the right of me. And you ended off your speech sort of like, we need to be more open, I, at least I interpreted it as to the views to the left of us. And I was like, ah, Sharon, I wish you would have ended because that's how I should have ended it. If I was giving the Dvar Torah, meaning, and I wasn't, and I wouldn't have done it as eloquently as you, but I would have ended off saying, hey, listen, we got to listen to people. Like, I grew up in an Orthodox world and these are my views on Israel and this is what I've been taught and I believe it and 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 deep and I, and, and it's not, you know, and I and I want Israel to be great, and but we, we got to do better. So let's listen to these other people. Let's not pull up the ladder on, the, on, the, on our left flank. And it seemed to me you had that opportunity to say, hey, let's not pull up the ladder on the right flank. Mm. And I guess my, and, and, you and you didn't do that. And I guess my question is, um, do like do you see a value in the right flank? Do you mm. see what value do you see? What have you learned? Meaning that that sort of think about that. Great or, or question. Share. Yeah. I, first of all, I do not believe that the greatest problem facing the Jewish people right now is that we are paying too much attention to the voices from the left and need to make more room for the voices from the right. If I thought that was our problem, I would certainly give that sermon. So, <laughs> but I don't actually think this is about right and left. I think this is about a willingness to hear, I mean, all of Rachel Lakisha's challenges were legitimate and they did not want to hear them. And so this is not a right-left argument. In a way, it's a right-wrong argument, which is, are you open to hearing somebody's perspective that's actu that actually differs from yours when they could actually be correct in what they're saying and it makes you profoundly uncomfortable? Are you willing to enter the discomfort? Would, but wouldn't you, I mean, if somebody 
and again, I use right left broadly because it's just easier than I don't know trying to figure out exact terms. But wh- what if it wouldn't it make you uncomfortable? I mean, I assume it does to hear someone say no. Israel needs to do this. It sucks to see Palestinians living in poverty, but they brought this on themselves. Let me tell you why. Meaning the PA hasn't done what they're supposed to do. The leadership's been horrible. Israel's only doing checkpoints because they have no other choice. Uh, the land was not stolen. J- Jordan was on it. We took it back. It, it was stolen from us. And doesn't that make you equally uncomfortable? Shouldn't that be a voice you're listening to? That is the dominant voice in the Jewish and Zionist discourse. Meaning, of course it is. Of it, course. Is that the discourse in the non-Orthodox community? That is the dominant voice in anybody who, the dominant, not the only, but that is absolutely the dominant voice in the Zionist discourse. Anybody who's really engaged in in the Israel conversation, that's the dominant voice that we hear. Now, is that the dominant voice on college campuses among like the general population? Of course not. But in our spaces, in Jewish communal institutions, in any Israel-related organization or activity, that is what we hear. Right, but you're saying the number one challenge for the Jewish community is not too many voices on the right, meaning, you know, it's uh, listening to too many voices on the left, like that being we're, right. we're hearing too many of them and like we need to listen more to the right. So I, I would assume someone, we look at the biggest challenge for the Israel, for the Jewish community is they look at the college campuses, they say, my God, the next generation of Jews is is looking at Israel as a pariah, not just like, hey, Israel, you could be better. These are our Jewish values, like do these checkpoints with more humanity and and be kinder. And like, if we're occupying, if we have to occupy a people, do it in the Jewish way, which, you know, mm-hmm. that's not what they're saying. The college campus is virulently, in many ways, anti-Israel. It seems the UN, not even seems, the UN is virulently anti-Israel. Uh, there's, I mean, just the world is virulently anti-Israel. So people on the right, and again, I'm speaking in broad brushstrokes, but that's the best way I think to get to some of these issues, are like, I get it, Sharon, for sure we should do better. But how about we argue about it internally, quietly, so the world doesn't hear Sharon Browse marching with with Linda Sarshort, not that that's what you were marching about, but like, you've now given credibility to to an activist who's against the state of Israel. You know, like, whoa, I got it, Israel can do better. But let's 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 keep that a little bit internal and talk and improve rather than giving fodder to the to the U.N. who's quoting B'Tselem or, Hmm. you know, who's quoting the New Israel Fund. Those kinds of questions I I, think they would push. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a fundamental disagreement here about what's ultimately good for Israel. And I think we've been having an internal Jewish conversation for 50 years about the Palestinian people. And for 50 years, we have not figured out how to give them the essential freedoms and dignities that we as Jews would demand for ourselves and for our families. So at some point, we have to be honest about what's actually happening on the other side of the green line and about what our role is in it. And I would like for for their, for the Jewish moral imagination to be awakened in this conversation and for us to actually be part of figuring out what the solution is. Because instead, when we when we stand hard and fast and we publicly put out a public face that's only this kind of pro-Israel or, you know, this the, the, the whole notion of pro-Israel, it seems like it strips away, uh, you know, any and all nuance and essentially says, like, my public voice is I must stand with Israel no matter what Israel's doing, even if they're ejecting 38,000 and asylum seekers, like, do we have such a short history that we can't remember what it was like to be refugees? And and I just this morning was talking to a colleague who's a very beloved Orthodox colleague and who's very upset about the asylum seekers and what's happening right now. Um, and and he said that he's trying to get a group of um, of right wing American Jewish leaders 
to to write a letter of protest to Bibi and say, like, what are you doing? There are actually Jewish values that should be guiding the Jewish conversation in the Jewish state. And one of them said, I can't do anything that will hurt Israel. And my friend responded by saying, doing nothing is hurting Israel. And so I I believe that we have a kind of a fundamental disagreement about um, about what to do. Now, are there people who hate Israel? Are there people who are anti-Semitic? And that's why they, of course. But there's a whole progressive Zionist community that loves Israel deeply. Many of us have lived there, have family and friends there, are deeply invested in Israel and Israel's future, and are quite devastated to see that the reality of uh, uh, the rea- reality is in Israel and in Palestine right now that our Jewish values are not made manifest in the public s- space the way that we had hoped and dreamed that it would, and the way that our founders articulated in the de- you know Declaration of the Establishment of the State that they had imagined that it would. And so the question now is: Do we stay quiet because we don't? want anybody to know that there's an occupation as if they don't already know it? Or do we say we as Jews from our understanding of Torah and our love of our people and our understanding of Jewish history, we believe that we can do better and we must do better and we want to be part of the solution. So here's so and I think I actually shared this. I wrote a piece to our group within the the summer group that we were on um, where and I just to highlight, meaning there's a sense that Israel has to be infallible, meaning mentioning anything Israel does right. that's not perfect means you're not pro-Israel or like, hey, I'm not sure about the move of the embassy. Are you why are you anti-Zionist? And you're sort right. of like, wait a second, is right. that anti-Zionist or is that just expressing these are our Jewish values? So here, here's the it's not the problem, but I, I guess the rub is, is that, you know, if I want you're making great points, meaning if all things were equal if and and uh, I knew that really we could move Israel to be more to to fulfill its Jewish mandate of Jewish values while maintaining its security while maintaining. I don't I don't know many I don't know many of my colleagues that would say I'm not sure about that. But what happens is, is in this notion of intersectionality that's out there is, is I, I got a letter saying, hey, could we write a letter to BB? Could you sign it? It's from the New Israel Fund. The guy, the local representative who I love, who very lovely guy. I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but, um, <laughs> I, you know, said, could you sign this? I said, I, I can't because I can't I can't sign it. Not because I don't not because I think we should be kicking out. Refugees. It's not that long ago we were refugees. We have an obligation to take in refugees. I think there are a lot of Orthodox rabbis that would say it. The problem is, is that there's also an underlying current of, 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 of just pain and distance between, I would say, the Orthodox community and the non-Orthodox community. And the Orthodox community, they sort of feel like they've been made to look like the crazy lunatics who, mm-hmm. you know, how come you, you know, you're you're so you're Neanderthals who haven't progressed and and sort of like w- wait a second we're you know our community is growing we are pretty sure that there's going to be continuity there I understand progressive values that's of course super important to the Jewish community and the Orthodox community but they're not the priority they are a priority but if they're the priority we could lose the Jewish people so meaning yes I understand Israel please do better but to have pressure put from American Jews or even from Israelis to say like do better and risk whatever risk security risk the safety of your families risk whatever the risk is um, I, I think when we when we minimize it and we and we say like, do you care about Jewish values? As if they don't, I think we we block the conversation. I would love for Orthodox people to hear you. I think if Orthodox people could hear you, um, 
and and really listen without, you know what I mean? They didn't know who you were. They didn't know any of your views. They, somehow on a tape, they thought you were an Orthodox male rabbi who gives <laughs> who gives like intense musr schmoozes and you're like pushing your community to grow in Torah and learning. I and am. like I, I, I know am. you are. I know you are. And you then gave this speech of like, yes. hey, listen, guys, Israel is amazing. It's really, and its safety and security is my number one priority because at the end of the day, we only have one Israel. And if we don't have it, I don't know if we'll get it back. It's my number one priority. But come on, can't we do better? These checkpoints are inhumane. Hey, can't we do better in terms of like, let's get the international community to support us in terms of like safe crossings and making them quicker and, you know, uh, status of for, for cell reception and for, you know, citizenship, whatever it is. Like, can't we do better? The community would hear that, but the reason I think they don't hear it is because they see Sharon Browse and they see and, and I and and maybe you know this, maybe you don't. It's like bright lights, Hollywood, you know, uh, marquee. That's what it's called, and it's like liberal uh, rabbi who 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 looks down on Orthodox Jews. I'm I'm just saying what I think people think. I don't think it. You and I have a great relationship. Um, you know, is telling you how to how to really support Israel, and that if mm. you cared really about Jewish values, there that's how you would really care about Israel. First of all, some of my closest friends are Orthodox <laughs> Jews. <laughs> um, it, this is why it's even more important that people like you speak out about the refugees and asylum seekers, because because you're right, your friends don't care what I think, because they can easily write me off as some you know woman rabbi that does gay weddings, right, and therefore has no legitimacy um, in in the from their in their perspective. I mean, that's why it's really important that if you're upset about a Jewish state in the name of our, of our people and by the way, the prime minister claims that he speaks on behalf of the Jewish people, not just Israeli Jewish citizens, but the, the Jewish people he's speaking for you and he's speaking for me. If you think that it's wrong for us to call those people who fled from Eritrea and Sudan and came to Israel, you know, through like living hell, to come to try to find a, a safe refuge that they should be called a cancer and then and then forced to forcefully deported if that's not doesn't work for you you have to say something because they're not going to listen to me so i beg you and your colleagues if that doesn't feel right to you look for to my mind a lot of people have a really negative understanding of what zionism is they think zionism is is a colonialist enterprise that's about oppressing indigenous people and you know and building a jewish state on land and, you know, that's that's owned by other people and by stealing those people's rights. That's not how I understand Zionism. I see Zionism as as, as creating a safe refuge and a safe haven for a people that has been persecuted over thousands of years in every single land we've ever lived in and creating an opportunity for the Jewish people to actually manifest Jewish values on the public stage. So, so 100% of our goal in the establishment of the state of Israel is safe haven. And 100% of our goal is, the, is to be able to manifest core Jewish values, Torah, right? We were gerim and nobody took care of us. And so how do we live out those core values now that we actually have sovereignty? And so for me, when I see an ultra nationalist right wing government that's actually undermining core foundational Jewish principles, I'm extremely distressed about it. And I cannot stay silent precisely because I love Israel and I want Israel to manifest the, what, what its own aspirations are. But they don't care what I say. They care what you say. Right. And the problem is, I think there is a sense in the, in the, in the entire Jewish community Community. We have to close soon, um, but then it's sort of an either-or proposition. Meaning, either you're, you know, fully halachic in the orthodox manner and 
see Israel, and there's a broad brushstrokes, you know, is infallible or, or whatever Israel does, we need to support. Or you're like, no, the number one value is social justice and like Israel needs to uphold its values there. But, but and halacha is more of a, um, I would say like pick and choose. I'm not trying to, in a minimizing way, but just like what, what speaks to me and that's their eternal values more than like, you know, speaking to commandedness values. Um, and people see it as either or. And I think that that's a big struggle when, Again, I want to speak out. I've spoken out about some important issues, whether it's LGBT. Um, I've talked about Israel and, and how we can be more nuanced there. Yes. But as soon as I do that, I get hit by people not only to the right of me, but in my community who say, like, what, what are you, like, what's going on? You're just aligning with people. Fine, if you just care about those issues, but now you're aligning with people who don't share values at all. They, they, Israel isn't their number one priority. They love Israel. It's like a great country to visit, but that's not their home. You're, you know, they don't, they're not, they're not really committed to a life of halacha. So like, wh who are you aligning yourselves with? I get it. Speak your voice. But like what, and I think that's some of the disconnect. And I almost wish that our listeners and people could hear the, the values from the conservative, lowercase c, right-wing world that you value, like that there are things, no, like you're not just, high, you know, constantly looking for some liberal cause to like throw your, your you know, immense talent behind. But there are values that you see in the Orthodox community or in the, or in the nationalist Israeli community. I don't know if that's something you feel that are, that are, that are important. Well, it's, you know, I remember when we first sat down to talk to see if there could be a shidduch between <laughs> Kar and Shalhevet. And I, and you said, yeah, but we keep kosher. And, I'm, and I said, so do we. Kosher. And I mean, look, we, I'm a Shomer Shabbos, you know, Jew. And, and my, I reject the false dichotomy that, that you've just set up, which is, you know, that, that the Israel, the Israel live or die, right or wrong, um, it aligns with the halachic Jew. And then, the non-halachic Jews are the ones who care about values. I mean, that I don't, I don't buy that, and I don't think you really buy it either. And so, I feel what we have to do is we have to model for our communities that there is a third way. There has to be a third way here. And so, I mean, at some point, the Egyptians are on one side, and the water's raging on the other. And we have to say, I reject this. This is too binary. And it's like I'm just going to start to walk. And my sense is, even if the Orthodox community says, I can't listen to Browse, she's too from or too female or too, you know, participate in a women's march with someone who I don't like, you know, my sense is that we have to we have to live the Torah that we actually believe. And I the other night we had this incredible, gorgeous um, Kabbalat Shabbat. And afterwards, a rabbinical student came over, was visiting from out of town. And he said, I've never experienced a service like that. And I'm so moved by the, by the davening and by what you said. And he said, but for every piece of Torah you bring, someone could bring the exact opposite. And they're like, they'll just bring different psukim or they'll read it differently. How do you know you're right? And I said, you know what? I don't know that I'm right, but I know that the world will not be worse if we pursue love and justice and dignity. And the world might actually be worse if instead we we choose to read hatred and revenge and cruelty and indecency. So if your read of Torah is the, is the latter, you might actually be doing damage. If, if, if your read is the former, if it's really about love and compassion and empathy and justice, and it's, and it's because you believe that that's really what God is asking of us, so, so what's the damage, right? right. What's the damage? So can I, I, I wanna point out one thing you said, and then I have to really close because my sound engineer's giving me the, the evil eye. Um, <laughs> I think he's enjoying this. You, and I, I don't know if you realize it, but when you're talking about, I don't like Browse because she marches with someone I don't, like so much. You're referring to Linda Sarsour, I assume, if that's how you pronounce her name. It's, yes. Yes. I, because you mentioned Someone her. would 
certainly I, and I don't agree with the binary, by the way. My, my wish is, and the Radical, Radical Moderation podcast, the whole idea is stop with the binary. Stop exactly. with the intersectionality. Pick, meaning if something matters to you, speak about it. You don't have to like be, I'm the orthodox pro-Israel. I'm exactly. the, whatever it is, I, I'm all in on that. But what you don't realize is when you say something like, the woman you don't like, that's offensive to orthodox people, or, or not even orthodox people, to more right-wing Israeli supporters. They're like, she's not someone we don't like. She's someone who hates us. That's that's not fair. And you're mocking or minimizing who that person is to us. So I just, meaning, and that's, I think, some of it is that when we use that, and I do it also in the other direction, like I made a joke about B'nai Brock, which I shouldn't have earlier. They would hear that and say, like, I can't believe you're like minimize. Like, what are you joking that they're so Haredi that they don't eat salad dressing? So I just, like, I think we need to be careful. You, me, the leadership to not, use that kind of uh, language that, that, that minimizes people's feelings. Well, I point taken, but you can't, we can't end the podcast there. I mean, now we no, have no, to, for I sure. think we have to have a well, conversation. I have a great story. <laughs> I have a great story about you that I wanted to end the podcast. Wait, on. wait, wait. I don't get to respond to you that. Do. Of course you get to respond. <laughs> I wouldn't just, do that. We'll just edit it out at the end. <laughs> That's right. Of course. Of course. Edit I think people will tune voices. in to hear this. I think people pe- have been doing that for thousands wow. of years. Wow. <laughs> right. So. I think that's your ending right there. <laughs> Thank you. You gave, her, you gave her like a, a speech. Like I thought you were running for office. No, at there at one point. Okay. So uh, yes, you get to respond. Of course, I wouldn't. You're, I want your daughter to come to school here. I wouldn't not let you respond. <laughs> can I tell a funny story and then if you want to respond, go for you can it, respond. Go for it. So you made this joke about like keeping kosher when I, we first yes. met. So after we met and you were here at Ikar, <laughs> we've been trying to have Rabbi Browse over for Shabbos for like a meal at some point, and she's like, I don't, I don't drive on Shabbos. Like, and I live around here. Like, I'm not coming to you. And like, and I was like, oh, okay, no problem. Like, she said very respectfully, not in that way. I'm um, so Atara and I are like, well, how are we going to have her over? We got to have her over. She keeps chagim. She keeps Shabbat. So we're like. Oh my God, this is amazing. I text her. I'm like, Sharon, why don't you come second day Yom Tov? Like, right? There's no way. Why would Sharon keep second day Yom Tov? She's like, I keep second day Yom Tov. Like, what? Why? She was like, why wouldn't I? It was was just like one of those aha moments for me. I had that, whatever. while, While I'm stalling. I went, Harry Pell, who is an old friend of mine, told me he like has a Shulchan Aruch in his house. I was like, what? Why do you have a Shulchan Aruch? That was like my first, I was 20 years old in like NYU. Um, he's a conservative rabbi who's amazing. And at the Westchester, Solomon Schechter, I think. He's awesome. So do you want to respond in closing? Look, I think- I didn't mean I think, to be harsh there. I just No, no, like, it's okay. And there's yeah. always there's always good learning here. And it's certainly, you, I, I so appreciate what the goal of the podcast is. And I appreciate you having me here. And I want to say, I'm also incredibly moved and my community is moved. It, with by how respectful you have been to me as a rabbi and to our and to our community, and it says a lot about Shalhavet. And it, and you are carving out a third way here, and that I think really really honors both paths and says that there we have to find a way to marry these values. And so I I deeply appreciate that, and I also I, I feel that there has to be it's too easy to make a straw man out of each other's perspectives. And so we do have to have more time to engage each other and to really hear out. I mean, I do have a different perspective from you um, on, on this matter. And, um, and, you know, I think it's I think it's really critical because the, because the times are tough and people are profoundly indecent. Social media is a nightmare. 
Um, it's like a raging hellhole of, of human cruelty. And I just, it's so easy to score points by, um, by, by just throwing vicious things out there online. And I think we have to actually break down what the values are that we seek and how to actually see the humanity in each other. And some people are just flat out wrong and are outside the tent and don't deserve the ladder. Um, and, and we should pull the ladder up and not let their voices in. But there are a lot more people that should be in the conversation than yeah. are. And so the only way to broaden that conversation is to be able to listen to each other. So I deeply appreciate your willingness to engage and share and listen. And I could not have said it better myself. I was planning on closing, but that was better than what I would have said. (laughs) So I thank our listeners for tuning in. Uh, I look forward to being with you at a future date.